once again and thank you for being here this morning as we continue, but also prepare to conclude our 2023 survey of the Acts of the Apostles. If you've been here with us at all, uh, most Sundays this year, we've been going through the book of the Acts, and I've appreciated this deep dive each week as we've listened and learned from a truly epic story. This epic story of the Holy Spirit of God interacting with and empowering that first century church and those first century believers to become witnesses, like Brandon just said, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's truly amazing to me and what's actually transformational is that the Holy Spirit of God is still interacting and still empowering believers in this 21st century. Amen? And our hope and our prayer isn't that we simply try to get through this book of the Acts in 12 months, but our hope and our prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God would get through to us, that it would be more than just a study in this book. It would actually be the Holy Spirit of God empowering us, filling us, that we would become the witnesses that he's called us to be. And so last week, Michael shared with us from chapter 27, and I think verse 40 in particular from that chapter sums up the message that he brought us. Acts 27.40 says of Paul and his companions, the crew of the, the rest of the 276 souls that were on this ship that was facing tumultuous waters and storms on their way to Rome. Luke says that casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders. And they were hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading to the beach, Luke said. Michael told us if we're going to get through the storms of life that we face, that we're going to have to do some of those same things. We're going to have to cast off the anchors that weigh us down. He said there's sometimes things in life that we've used and that would, we thought would help us through the storm, but in the middle of the storm, they actually become these burdens that weigh us down. Some people use money as a means of saving themselves and trying to get themselves through. Some people use alcohol as a means of coping with or trying to get through certain things. And Michael said we should consider there are certain things in our lives, money, relationships, therapy, whatever it is that we thought could save us, at some point it's going to abandon us when the ship is being torn to shreds by the storm. And so we too have to cast off the anchors and in the middle of the storm, I love that, it says, while they were doing that, they were also loosening the ropes of the rudders. And to me, that says, God, I'm giving you control. I'm going to stop trying to steer this ship. I'm going to actually let go. There's nothing I can do in this situation. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you were so overwhelmed that you just said, maybe like that country song says, Jesus, take the wheel, right? I'm just loosening the rudders, and I'm saying... And I'm saying, Lord, it's up to you. It's up to you. I can't control this anymore. And Michael said the very thing that we thought we could use to control this situation, we have to let go of and trust in the very thing over which we have no control. And they found themselves at the mercy of the wind, hoisting the sail, letting go of the anchor, letting go of the, the rudder and saying, I'm at the mercy of the wind. As we, as believers, would say, I'm at the mercy of the Spirit of God that is like a wind, the Scripture says. 
I'm no longer the one who's in control. I'm letting go of this thing. Whatever it is, I'm trusting you. I'm counting on you to bring me safely ashore. And that's exactly what happened as they abandoned the anchors and put their trust in the Holy Spirit. And Michael says sometimes it gets worse before it gets better, right? And as soon as they did that, they started being smashed on the rocks and the ship was being torn to shreds, right? And if that wasn't bad enough, then the soldiers said, we have a plan. Let's kill all the prisoners. Let's kill Paul. Talk about it going from bad to worse. Suddenly, like, let's kill all the, the prisoners that are supposed to uh, be going to, to Rome here. We don't want any of them to escape. Then we'd be at fault. But verse 44 says this, that God brought them all safely to land. The storm didn't kill them. The soldiers didn't kill them. God raised up a centurion that kept them from their intention, Luke said. And Michael said last Sunday, God's word is faithful and true. Whether conditions persist or abate, God said it, and I believe he's going to bring me safely to the land. Can you say amen? Amen. I believe he's going to bring you safely through your storm and to the land if we trust in him, if we're willing to hoist the sail and let go of the anchors. And that brings us to Acts 28 this morning and their safe arrival on that land. And these sea-weary souls make landfall in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And if the prospect of facing down storm after storm, day after day, and crossing over the sea, and Paul being on trial for his life, evading plot after plot against him, enduring multiple beatings and life-threatening situations and persecutions, now he's on his way to Rome, appealing to Caesar, and he finds himself and his shipmates, they're shipwrecked shipwrecked on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean as their boat lay in pieces at the bottom of the sea. While Michael's words echo in my ears, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. That's what we'll see here in Acts 28 this morning, these first 10 verses. If he wasn't feeling snake-bitten before, he's feeling a little snake-bit at this point very shortly. And the crazy thing about human nature is this. People always want to know why. They always want to know. We always want to know why. Why do bad things happen? Why would this guy be on the run for his life? Why would he be shipwrecked? Why would a viper come and attach itself to his hand? Why would he go through these things? And it makes sense, right? If you can understand why something bad happened, hopefully you can prevent something bad from happening in the future. It's makes a lot of logical human sense to say, let's figure out why so we can help prevent this from happening again, among other reasons. But man has this tendency when bad things occur to try and figure out why it happened. And when we can't seem to figure it out, sometimes we assume why it happened. We assume here's the reason or this must be it. But is the limited and flawed Mortals that we are, not having the whole picture as God who sees the end from the beginning. We should be slow to assume we know why difficulty arises or why some people seem to endure all manner of difficult trials in their life experience. But that's what happened here in Acts 28. As the danger and difficulty multiply, Paul is misjudged by his observers when they assume the why of his apparent misfortune and what we'll see is a contrast in 
two different responses to the circumstances of life. As Paul responds one way to the difficulties he's facing, and those who are observing him respond in another way. We'll see how their mistaken assumptions lead them to mistaken expectations with this strange man who emerges from the sea on their shores. Think about it. By all accounts, this is the first time that a follower of Christ landed on these shores. And the islanders aren't quite sure what to think or how to respond when this stranger from the sea didn't respond to difficulty in the ways that they may have expected, which presents this lesson for us this morning. If witnessing for Christ is our goal, if you're a believer today, if witnessing for Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ is our goal, then we need to understand that our response in the middle of unfortunate, difficult, or challenging circumstances, our response in those situations in particular is a primary means, a prime means of our witness. Our response becomes our witness in those circumstances when others see the way that we respond in the middle of it all. How do we respond to challenge and hardship? How do we respond when we've been shipwrecked or snake-bitten? Do we just cry, which sometimes we should cry, or do, do we just stay in that place of being downtrodden or downcast, as the psalmist said, why so downcast, O my soul? Or do we give in to complain or negative thinking and get derailed by the ubiquitous human question of why and be, become preoccupied with trying to figure it out? Why something bad or difficult happened in this experience? Because the natives are watching. The islanders are watching your response in those situations. Do we see ourselves as being in the prison or the palace at once, as inheriting hardship or inheriting the kingdom? And the way in which we choose to respond and the lens through which we see those circumstances that we will inevitably have to navigate is the only, it's not just an indicator and a means of demonstrating our faith in God and the hope that we have, but it's also one of the best means through which we can actually become the witness God's called us to be. So let's think on these things as we read from Acts 28. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness. Because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off and into the fire, and he suffered no harm. They were expecting that he was about to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, a man named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. 
And it happened that his father was lying in bed, afflicted with recurring fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him, and he was healed. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and were also being cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when they were setting sail, they supplied us. When we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your word to us today. Would you bless our ears in the hearing of this word? Lord, bless our hearts that we would respond as you would have us to respond to your truth with your word to us for your glory. Be glorified in it and in us. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things, Lord. Let it be. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. They had been brought safely through. Then we found out that the island was called Malta. And I find this interesting. There it is, Justin. Malta. Let's hear it for the Maltese in the crowd. The name Malta is derived from the Greco-Roman hybrid word Melita, which was actually the word that William Tyndale used in his 1525 translation of the New Testament. I find this ironic and important at the same time. The isle was called Melita, that first next slide there. This is William Tyndale's translation. He didn't call it Malta. He just transliterated this Greco-Roman word, as did the King James Translators in 1611, the island was called Melita, another variation of that same word, neither one of which is our current word, Malta. We hear the word Malta and we think of our friend Justin or we think of uh, the island in the Mediterranean, right? Well, when they heard this word Melita, they thought of the word honey. They thought of the place that had these uh, special bees that lived there, and this honey was on this island. It's like, oh, you went, you went to the place that has the honey. You went to that, that sweet-as-honey island, literally, is what it, what it meant. And it's interesting to me, and it's interesting to note, the biblical authors and the Holy Spirit, as the ultimate author of the Scripture, loves to repeat some themes at different times, and you'll see it a common theme, and it may be with a little different spin or a little different way and a little different nuance to it, but it's the same thing, and it triggers something in your mind that says, hey, this reminds me of this other thing. As Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. But it rhymes. So it's not exactly the same, but something about it echoes of what's happened in the past, and we see that here with Acts 28, rhyming, as it were, with scriptures like, Psalm 78 or Exodus 3 or Numbers 14, the Lord brought his people safely through the waters into a land flowing with honey of all things. And I can't believe that the recurring theme of God bringing his people through the waters into a land of sweetness or abundance, that that would have been lost on Paul for a second. That even though God was true to his word, it's ironic, he's true to his reputation of saving his people through the waters, but he offers this sweetness that's in this place of challenge and maybe one of the low points at Paul's life, I can't help but imagine, I can't help but imagine running for his life from the Jews who are plotting against him, having been beaten numerous times, then 
on the open seas trying to swim for your life ashore day after day. It says that all hope of being saved was abandoned. We just figured there's no way. And I don't know if you've experienced some time or season in your life where you said, I just don't see how there's any way through this thing. And suddenly in the place of challenge, then you're on this island and you're bitten by this snake, right? Somehow in the middle of all this, God says, no, 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 no. You're not in some snake-bitten, abandoned, shipwrecked place. You're in the place of sweetness. That's what I'm going to make it for you. If you'll trust in me. I said you're going to Rome. Guess what? You're going to Rome. You're not stuck on this island. You might feel like you're stuck at some point. But God says, no, no, no. I've got a call on your life. You're going with me. You're not stuck there. It's not always going to be easy. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better, but it is going to get better. I think God likes to do that with his people. He likes to provide for us at times in a situation that reminds us of his faithfulness in the past. And that remembrance of his faithfulness, he brought them through the waters to the land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to bring me through this thing. He's going to bring you through your thing. And things appear to be going really well at first. In verse 2, the islanders showed us extraordinary kindness. They kindled a fire, received us all. That sounds like a warm welcome. How cozy must that fire have been after days of rain and water and torment and shipwreck and swimming for your life? No sooner had they gathered the sticks in order to help with the fire. Paul was helping here. Then in verse 3, a viper came out and bit him, or as Luke said, fastened itself on his hand, latching onto him. And speaking of history, rhyming, how many times in the Gospels did Jesus refer to the unbelieving Jews that were chasing Paul and on, he was on trial now because of the plots that they had against him and the accusations that they made? Jesus referred to them as a brood of vipers. And here this viper comes out. You think you got away from these people who are chasing you. You're across the sea on an island that none of them were on. Guess what? Here comes a viper again, this time a literal viper, to latch onto your hand. So he's on his way to Rome, stops on this island. If it weren't enough to have been conspired against in shipwrecks, now he's, he's been snake-bitten. Now he's misjudged in verse 4. When the islanders saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. He's a murderer. And though he's escaped from the sea, he escaped justice over here. He's been saved from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He's as good as dead. He's as good as dead. Before they could hear a word from his mouth, they made the judgment. They figured out why. This must be why he's suffering. This must be why he's going through this thing. Before they could hear anything from him or know anything about him, they answer that nagging question of why this has happened. You deserve it, is essentially what they're saying. They come up with their own theory and spread it around, the speculation, as if it were true. Undoubtedly, this is definitely what happen that's why he's been shipwrecked that's why he's suffering right now he escaped the justice of the sea but now he's as good as dead justice has finally caught up with this guy you're going to get what you deserve that's why you're suffering amazing the ways in which humanity will try to answer this question of why 
And not to absolve ourselves of responsibility here all too often, we speculate along the same lines. Again, after all, if you can figure out why, maybe you can prevent something bad from happening again. It's not all bad, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. Maybe we try to justify it that way. Our judgment of others. And I pray this passage gives us pause the next time we're tempted Next time we see someone suffering. But what's clear in this case is that Paul is being misjudged and it appears that history, though it's not repeating, is rhyming once again. I'm sure you'll recall earlier biblical accounts of someone who was enduring suffering and surrounded by those who sat in judgment of him. If you thought of Job or Jesus, you'd be correct. This isn't the first time someone has been misjudged in their suffering, and it certainly wasn't the last time for that matter. Have you ever been misjudged in yours? It's not a fun place to be. Or maybe some of us have sat in judgment of others who are suffering. These are the things that we're challenged to consider as we read this scripture today. And I pray the Holy Spirit would lead us in everything that we need to hear and response that we need to have. But in this situation in particular, this is the way in which Paul responded to both the viper and the judges. In verse 5, it says, He shook the creature off and into the fire. Now think about that. We don't have an exhaustive account of everything, perhaps, I don't know. In this situation, I don't think it's exhaustive as to everything that happened. I don't know if Paul exclaimed in any way, but it seems clear that there was a very unceremonious matter of fact shaking this snake off, get off of me, into the fire. Again, we don't have every detail, but we do have some sense of this man who's already endured a great deal, suffered a lot already to this point. And in the face of what is known by the islanders to be a deadly viper, no small risk, this is not a small thing, Paul keeps it in perspective and puts the suffering in its place. Think about it. Death plots didn't stop him. Beatings didn't stop him. Didn't stop the call of God on his life. The shipwreck didn't stop him. Jesus said, you're going to Rome And this viper is not going to stop him either. He shook it off. He shook the creature off. How do we respond in the suffering? What if Paul had responded, Oh my God, I've been bitten by a snake. Where's the doctor? I'm going to die. This wasn't his first rodeo, and so he shook the creature off. And to the suffering that he experienced and to the situation in which he was being misjudged, he cast it aside. And kept right on going. How do we respond in the middle of our hardship? Because our response is our witness. The way that we respond is our opportunity to cooperate with God's empowering. With the word of the Lord in our lives. That we're going to do what he said we're going to do. We're going to be and go where he said we're going to be and go. Are we going to cooperate with that or get caught in this thing and and then all we do is get concerned about how I feel or about what's happened to me or about how terrible life is? I can't believe it. Now I've been bitten by a snake. Not what Paul did. He shook it off. 
He shook the creature off and into the fire. Watch what happens next in verse 6. The natives, the judges, were expecting that he was about to swell up or fall down dead, and they waited a long time. I mean, he's a murderer, right? He's being judged here. And their judgment and possibly even their past experiences that they've seen other people be bitten by these snakes brought them to, to some mistaken conclusions and expectations with respect to Paul. I imagine they had seen people die from this viper's poison before, basing it on their response here. And since they just know that this man from the sea is a murderer, and they expect nothing less than he should succumb to his suffering, just like everybody else does, right? That's what happens. I've seen it before. Oh, you're in this situation. You're as good as dead. Sometimes, on our Christian journey, on this walk of faith, there will be people who will sit in judgment of you, even expecting your downfall. Some of them are even willing to wait for a long time until it happens. Or at least expecting, maybe even wanting it to happen. People love to watch a train wreck. Familiar with this human phenomenon? This is why videos go viral. Something crazy happens and everybody can't help but watch and want to see what's going to happen. This is sort of the situation here. The viper, oh, he's dead now. Just watch this. Let's w- just wait, wait for it, wait for it. But I dearly love when through the power of the Spirit of God, the ungodly expectations of those who sit in judgment of us are not met. And I'm not trying to say that I'm like the Apostle Paul or that you are, that we always respond properly to suffering. But what I am trying to say is that the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit of God that was in Paul, by faith is in you, and that you too can respond in such a way in your snake-bitten condition or shipwreck condition or challenging storms of life such that people are dumbfounded and wonder how in the world that's possible. So that if we experience suffering and hardship or vipers or judgments, we too can defy the odds by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. And it's not just Paul's response to the suffering that he's going through that becomes a witness to these islanders, but it's God's response and God's hand on Paul that also testifies to Christ with Paul. Don't think for a second that your witness for Christ depends solely on you. It doesn't. We have a part to play, but it's only through the power of the Spirit of God that a person comes to the Father anyway. Paul's response is a witness to the islanders and his God's protection on him is a witness to them also. So then we should stand up as witnesses for Christ, believing that God through the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness with our witness and do some things that we couldn't do ourselves, like maybe save us from vipers and shipwrecks. Paul would eventually say, In another letter, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when nothing unusual happened to Paul, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Wow, is the mob ever fickle? 
He's a murderer. Oh, he's a god, right? They did wait a little while in between, but the mob is fickle. There's one thing that's for sure. The islanders may not have known anything about Jesus Christ or Yahweh, but they knew a miracle of God when they saw it. They knew God is at work somehow. There's something divine at work. This isn't just normal human stuff. And when people see our response in the middle of suffering, it should prick their hearts to change their minds, change their minds about the situation and say, wait a minute, everything that I thought before wasn't right. Maybe God's at work somehow. There's something I don't understand that's going on here. Do you see what a witness his actions and his demeanor and his faith were when he was confronted with the sufferings of life? And do we see how God met him in his sufferings and delivered him through them not from them through them he went through the waters when God brought them through the storm to the island he was still bitten by the snake I love how it said but he didn't suffer any harm I can't imagine it felt good to be bitten by a poisonous snake he suffered some pain right he suffered some injury just as you and I will suffer pain and injuries in our journey through this life. But God protected him from harm because he believed the word of the Lord. And now this was a prime witness <clears throat> that was going on here in this island. For the first time ever, they heard the truth of Jesus. They witnessed the truth of Jesus Christ right in front of them. Now, having gained everyone's attention with the incident of the viper, Paul is welcomed and even entertained for a few days by the leading man of the island, Luke says. This leading man had a father whom Luke said happened to be sick and not wanting to miss an opportunity to witness and to see God work here. Paul prayed for him and God healed this man's father. And it occurred to me that we should not let our own sufferings and challenges prevent us from reaching out in faith and compassion to the hurting people that are around us. Sometimes we can be so preoccupied with the snake bites and the shipwrecks that we forget there's somebody next to us in need. Paul didn't get so preoccupied with his own suffering that he missed the chance to be a witness for Christ in someone else's suffering. God honors Paul's faith and heals this leader's father and many others on the island And I'd like to be someone who also comforts others, even in the middle of my own discomfort, as Paul does here. Remember, he's shipwrecked. He's snake-bitten. He's misjudged. But his response was faith and compassion by the grace of God. And God honored that faith with provision and with healing. And speaking of honor, verse 10, we'll close with this. These same people... They also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. Think about that. Through Paul's responses to the challenges, by the grace of God, through God's spirit and purpose in those responses, God had changed the islanders. from judgmental accusers to honored partners in Paul's ministry. 
Isn't that amazing what God can do? The very ones who had sat in judgment of him, calling him names, making false accusations, were some of the very ones that helped to supply him for the next leg of his journey. It's beautiful what God can do with our right response in the middle of our suffering. And I pray that we would see the Lord do this in our lives. Will we give up in the middle of the challenge and get discouraged and stay there in that place of shipwreck or storm or pain? Or will we rise in faith to say, Lord, I may experience these pains, but I know that no harm is going to come to me. I know that you're taking me through this storm. I know that your word is true. And through the power of your spirit, I can be a witness for you. I can have compassion even in the middle of my discomfort for someone else who is hurting. The Lord is bringing us through the trial and to the land of sweetness, the land of provision. It reminds us of how he's been faithful in the past and he's going to be faithful in the future. While he empowers us to navigate the challenges of this life, I pray we would do that. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us today. May your word find a home in our hearts and a home in our households and our family, a, a home in this community of faith in our neighborhoods. Father, would you empower us and I heard somewhere that your grace is sufficient for us. And I heard somewhere else that you're able to make all grace abound toward us. Abound. It's abundant. It's not just enough. It's more than enough for whatever storm we face, whatever shipwreck we experience, or misjudgment that's been pronounced upon us. Your grace is greater than our own failings or our own challenges your faithfulness in the past and your faithfulness in this situation Lord inspires us to trust in you for our situation that you'll provide for us for this leg and for the next leg of our journey thank you Lord that it's not over yet thank you Father that you're taking us to our desired haven to your perfect will in you and with you in time it's only a matter of time. Our hope is in you. We love you, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit along the way that we might see you and walk in your love with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we're going to close this time? I'd like to read from Romans 8. Paul says to the Romans, I'm utterly convinced. I'm utterly convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor shipwreck, nor snake bites, nor judgmental naysayers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is true for you as well. Amen. Amen. I hope that you can stay with us and enjoy a time of fellowship with the Leonettis and with one another. And uh, if you're not able to, that's okay. We pray God's blessing on you and on your journey. Amen. Amen. God bless you.